Hello and welcome from Good Shepherd Church of Camarillo. We're so glad you're with us. Here's today's message. As we do, we'll see how Jesus powerfully teaches us three things about our faith journey with him. As we look at our text today, we will look at uh, to remember your call. Remember that sometimes you'll fall, but that love conquers it all. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your everlasting truth. Please speak to us through your word. Teach us the things you would want us to know, the things you'd want us to do in our walk with you. May the words of our mouth, the meditations of our heart, be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name. Well, have you ever had a day that you'd like to forget? A day that you'd like to have a do-over because of the thoughtless words that you'd said or maybe the wrong things you'd done. Maybe the good things that you, ne that you had neglected to do. Maybe unwise decisions or mistakes that you'd made. I know that I have had that, and I imagine most of us have as well. A number of years ago, a couple screenwriters got together and took this thought and ran with it. They turned out one of the most popular comedy films of all time. And since the movie was a comedy, they took this thought to a whole other level. Instead of just asking the question, what would happen if you had the chance to live one day over again? The movie took that to the extreme and said, this premise, what would it look like if you had to really relive one day over and over and over again until you got it exactly right. And the film that we're talking, of course, is Groundhog Day. Yeah, we all know that, don't we? Yeah. Um, and the release summary for the one person that might not have seen this movie um, goes like this. It's a 1993 uh, American fantasy comedy film uh, directed by Harold Ramis and written by Ramis and Danny Rubin. It stars Bill Murray. Uh, Andy McDowell, and Chris Elliott. Murray portrays Phil Connors, a cynical television weatherman covering the annual Groundhog Day event in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, who becomes trapped in this time loop, forcing him to relive February 2nd over and over and over again until he gets it right. Through all these years, the film remains so popular because there are certain elements that we can all connect with. And I'm sure the Apostle Peter wished he could have a Groundhog Day redo after his last encounter with Jesus just before Jesus' trial and crucifixion. So here's the setting. The disciples were all gathered together sharing their Last Supper with Jesus. And after the meal, Jesus had some troubling words for each of them. In Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35, we read this. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. 
And all the other disciples said the same. Later that evening, after Jesus is arrested, we see this account of Peter's denial in Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Then, seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some of their and so when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked at him closely and said, This man was with him. He denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else said, You're also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word that the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. We can only imagine the tremendous sorrow and guilt and shame that Peter must have felt in the wake of his denial. And following Jesus' resurrection, Peter must have wondered if there could be anything that he could do or say to undo the hurt and damage that he had done. And as we look at the text today, we'll see how Jesus restores Peter's relationship and his ministry, reminding him of his call, gently addressing his failure, reestablishing his commitment, and reaffirming his commission. Interesting that though Jesus had other opportunities, he waits until this encounter to restore Peter. And it may have something to do with the setting at the Sea of Galilee, a place very familiar to Peter. So let's look at the text as we remember our call. In John 21, verses 1 through 14, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them and said. They all said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards out. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it. 
and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The miraculous catch of fish must have seemed strangely familiar to Peter. Here he was on the Sea of Galilee, fishing on a boat with his friends, casting nets all night without catching anything. Jesus gives some simple instructions, and they suddenly bring in this record catch of fish. It was a near reenactment of an event some three years earlier when Jesus first called Peter to follow him. So let's look at that closely. <clears throat> Reading from Luke 5, 4 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is another name for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his command, companions were assembled at the, excuse me, were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The first miracle catch of fish was followed by Jesus' declaration of Peter's future ministry. His ministry of evangelism, when he said, from now on, you'll, you'll fish for people. Commentators point out that the catch of fish was a picture of how God would use Peter to powerfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and bring multitudes of people to salvation. Peter obediently cast the nets, but it was Jesus who brought the fish into the nets. In a similar manner, Peter would obediently preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit would bring in incredible numbers of people into a saving relationship with Christ. So what's the purpose of the second uh, miraculous catch of fish? In the wake of Peter's denial of Christ, he certainly would have had many questions as to the status of his relationship with Jesus and his call to ministry. And since the second catch of fish was a near reenactment 
of Peter's original call to ministry, the second catch would be an affirmation that Peter's original call to ministry was still intact. Like Peter, each of us has a calling, a ministry that God has called you and me to do. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God saved you and me for a reason. We are here to bring him glory through the work that he has called each of us to do. It's easy to think that we're not qualified to serve, especially when we fall. So that brings us to our second point, that sometimes you'll fall. Other than Jesus, no one has lived a perfect life or has had a perfect ministry. Peter had a great fall in his denial of Christ, but Jesus did not cancel his relationship with him or his ministry. I find it interesting that Jesus handles Peter's failures much differently than we would. <clears throat> of course, that's because Jesus knows Peter inside and out. He knows Peter far better than Peter even knows himself. He knows that Peter did not stop loving him. He didn't lose his faith. He just lost his nerve. He failed in a moment of weakness, just like we do. So what can we learn from Peter's failing? What do we do when we sin? We need to know that sin always breaks relationships, vertically with our Father, horizontally with others. The most important relationship we all, that we, all of us have is that relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thankfully, God has made a way for that relationship to be restored. We just celebrated that on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. Our sins that are past, our sins present, and our sins future. As Pastor Chad reminded us last Sunday, Jesus' resurrection not only pro proclaimed his victory over sin and death, but ours as well. When we sin, the enemy accuses us. He wants us to be discouraged. He wants us to feel defeated and give up on our faith journey. But that's not what the Lord wants for us. The Holy Spirit who lives in us, he convicts us of our sin. He brings us to our knees. And when we humbly confess our sin and we repent, we are forgiven and we are restored to a right relationship with God. When I confess my sin, I'm encouraged as God reminds me of his love and his promises to thoroughly cleanse me from my sins. And he brings some scriptures to mind, and I want to share those with you. First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Psalm 103, 11 and 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. We know our sin. We know our failings. And we wonder how God could still use us. But that's the point. God's strength is perfected in our weakness. Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And God works in our failings to shape us to be more and more the men and the women that he wants us to be. That is, more and more like Christ. Let's continue looking at the text. There's some interesting things ahead. We will see a significant change in Peter. And it may be that God has worked in Peter's failings to bring about this change. We're used to seeing an impulsive, self-confident, even boastful Peter. We're going to see a new Peter, Peter 2.0, a new humble Peter. And love conquers all. So in verses 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, again Jesus, uh, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Well, when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? It generally is understood to mean, do you love me more than these other disciples do? It's a gentle rebuke to Peter for his former claim of devotion to Christ that surpassed all the other disciples. Do you remember this? Peter had boasted to Jesus, even if all fall away on you, I never will. Super apostle Peter here. Uh, but the new Peter, in his humility, knows that he had overpromised and underdelivered. So he doesn't even address the issue. He doesn't even go there. He simply responds to the inquiry about his love for Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter three times the same question, do you love me? He does this in the presence of the other disciples. Since Peter had publicly denied Jesus three times, it's understandable that this affirmation of, of love for Jesus would be made three times as well. And certainly this was not lost on Peter, as he would have remembered his three denials. Then this may be part of the reason why Peter was so grieved when Jesus asked him the third time about Peter's love for him. And as a side note, do we remember where this conversation is happening? It's happening around the fire, a charcoal fire that Jesus had built to cook the fish. Do you remember another charcoal fire? I bet Peter does. There's a charcoal fire uh, there at the priest, uh, in the courtyard at the high priest's house. Remember that? Peter had sat around that charcoal fire 
denying Christ three times. Here again, he's at a charcoal fire where, Peter, where Jesus asked him, do you love me? I'm sure that was another thing that just cut him to the heart. So there's an interesting interchange that happens between Jesus and Peter about the love that Jesus asks for and the love that Peter says he's able to give. It's more e easily seen in the original Greek <clears throat> where Jesus asks Peter if he loves him with an agape love, which is an unconditional love marked by total commitment and devotion. Peter responds that he loves Jesus with a uh, filial love, a deep and personal emotional love, as uh, a love for a brother, a close friend. We don't really see that here in our text because the English translates both with the same word, love. But if we look at the Amplified Bible, it can help us have a better understanding of it. And I just want to point out the, that there's some bold words in my, in my text here. Um, so when Jesus, uh, they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he uses the word agape love. Do you love me with a total commitment and devotion? So let's read it that way. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. Feed my lambs. Later he asked him again, Simon, son of John, do you love me with a total commitment? And devotion? He says, well, Lord, you know that I love you with a deep personal affection as for a close friend. <laughs> he asks him, okay. <laughs> All right. So then he asks him a third time, right? Um, Do you love me with a deep personal affection as with a close friend? And he says, yeah, I love you with a deep personal affection as with a close friend. Theologians and commentators have an endless debate about the nuances and the language and the significance of Jesus asking for agape love and Peter's office offer of phileo love. And I've read a lot of these commentaries and I think it really comes down to this. Jesus had an important mission for Peter to do. Important mission to attend the flock of Christ, his future followers, and Peter would need this agape love to carry it out. He'd need an unwavering, unconditional love marked by a total commitment and devotion. Peter's re reply was this, well, I've got this deep personal emotional love for you. And Jesus in turn was saying, hey, this is a vitally important mission. I need you to have agape love. Peter doesn't want to overcommit again. He's, he's been down that road before. Uh, so he says, well, I've, I've got this phileo love for you. Finally, Jesus says this, okay, let's start where you're at. The important thing is that Jesus' sole criteria for restoring Peter to his former position and the basis for giving him a new commission is this, his love for Christ. I find that really amazing. After his fall, the thing that he really wants to know, I've got this incredible mission for you. Do you love me? Wow. Each time that Peter affirms his love, Jesus repeats his new commission to shepherd and care for the new believers who will be coming to faith. 
Love must be manifested by action. And Peter will show his love for Christ by shepherding the flock. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, puts it this way. No one can be qualified to feed the sheep and the lambs of Christ who does not love the good shepherd more than any earthly advantage or object. Why is love so powerful? Well, we can see an example of this when one of the teachers of the law asked Jesus about the greatest commandment. Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment that is greater than these. Mark 12. Jesus covers both tables of the law, the first law which deals with our relationship with God and the second that deals with our relationship with others. In effect, he's saying this, when you get the love part right, yeah, when you get the love part right, everything else follows. If we want to be in a right relationship with the Lord, we need to get the love part right. Each of us has a ministry, something that God has wired us to do. We have various talents, abilities, spiritual gifts. We have different professions with different duties and responsibilities. We have a particular role in our community, in our family. Wherever God has placed you, he wants you to show the love of Christ to others, whether it's your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members. He wants to see Christ living in you. At the end of our text, we see evidence that Peter would be faithful to the very end and would die a martyr's death. It says this, Jesus speaking to them says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself, and you went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. History shows that Peter was humbled to the very end. That when he was crucified, Peter asked that he be crucified upside down. So as he did not consider himself to be worthy to be crucified like Christ. After telling Peter the kind of death that he would die, the death that he would glorify God, Jesus calls him, saying, follow me. Well, in conclusion, in our text today, we saw a wonderful picture of restoration. Jesus gently brought Peter back to a right relationship with himself, and he reestablished his ministry. As we looked at that restoration process, we saw some parallels for our faith journey as well. Like Peter, we have a calling, something God has prepared in advance for us to do. Like Peter, there are times when we'll stumble in our walk with the Lord, but God can work in our failings to shape us to be more and more like Jesus, just like he shaped Peter. And thankfully, Jesus has made us a way, a way for us to be restored to a right relationship with God by paying the penalty on the cross for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And our response to the love 
that God has poured out on us is the love that we have for him and for others and how we put that love into action as we follow him. I love you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we've seen how gently you restored Peter. See, Lord, how you have just used him mightily. And Lord, we thank you that you have a calling for each of us. We thank you, Lord, that even when we stumble and fall in our walk with you, Lord, that you pick us up. Lord, you have made a way that we can be restored through Jesus as we place our faith in him. And Father, we just pray that you would help each of us, to, Lord, to grow, to be the men and women you want us to be. And Father, that we would be used by you mightily for your kingdom purposes to bring the, Christ, the love of Christ to others. In Jesus' name we pray.